Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Science of Pokemon. I am your host, Veteran Lucas, and with me today is Fisherman Don. How's it going, Don? Pretty good, pretty good. Um, Canceled all my plans, changed my week off st deals for the hurricane, and then it kind of just ducked around. So um, kind yeah. of annoyed, honestly. It kind of just skirted out. I mean, our hearts go out. To all the people in the Bahamas. Oh, 100%. My, my heart definitely goes out to the Bahamas. I'm not trying to trivialize the hurricane as a whole or anything like that. Yeah, no, it happens with hurricane season, but we're the Floridians. Uh, for those of you looking for Professor Collins, he's currently working on part of our charity stuff. And so we'll bring up more of that and post some links in our chat. But for now, Don, Dragon Con, by the way, was awesome. Yeah, I was about to ask you, how was that? Tell me about it. Dragon Con is the sickest, greatest con on the planet. No matter what con I visit, I will love you all. But Dragon Con, go to Dragon Con not because we go there. Go there because it is the biggest, nerdiest party on the planet. My roommates came back in at 7.45 a.m. They are madmen. Shout out to my boys. Oh, my God. It's the best. The talks are amazing. Everyone was amazing. But also go there because we're there. Yeah. And my shiny Magikarp I will be bringing back. Shiny Magikarp. Like, killed it. I turned it up. It was so good. Oh, so great. Anywho, so, enough rambling, because today's episode, we are caving in to our Patreon demands. Yes, let us spelunk into the requests of our beloved Patreons. Yes, our Patreons were told to select two Patreons. Our Patreons were supposed to select two kinds of episodes. One based on animals, one based on mythology. And they ended up picking cave animals. So, Tune in, grab on your headlights, we're going to go talk about some caves! Alright, so we do have to start with the news. Now, this is the closest news to my heart we've ever done, because it involves the Florida Aquarium. So the Florida Aquarium was recently in the news internationally, because they were the first to produce uh, spawning in pillar coral in a lab like we were the first people to ever create um, a spawning atlantic species of coral in lab conditions the first to do in the pacific was london but the aquarium is now on the map but the people who are able to do it with a coral that is almost extinct in the wild and so it's some amazing work i know tons of the people who are on the team i know tons of people who were crying with joy when it happened but they are one step closer to preserving this species of coral to bringing it back to what it once was and i'm i i know they don't listen to this podcast because they're way less dirtier than i am but i wanted to say again how proud i am for being affiliated with that organization and how proud i am to be affiliating with all these amazing people they're the real mvps they did amazing work oh that's honestly that's absolutely congratulations that's um that's a really impressive achievement coral are really finicky especially a coral that's obviously having a hard time it's probably an even more finicky coral than usual yeah it's said that in the wild it's just the bleaching and the sicknesses have caused it so much that the pillar coral aren't close enough to spawn with each other effectively anymore so oh, this wow. might be the only way to yeah this might be the only way to save it so it's a step forward and hopefully people can take that research and get more steps forward that's yeah that's fantastic news i didn't know that much about the situation but that's great yeah, we're so happy. They were also able to switch the cycle because normally it's done at like the full moon. We were able to switch the coral cycle 12 hours later. So that means that 
when it's noon, it thinks it's the full moon at midnight and it spawns. So instead of being there at 3 a.m., we can just show up and eat our lunch and watch it. So that was also very useful. Oh, that's very awesome. Mm-hmm. All right. So that was my mushy emotional science. But before this, we're recording this the Thursday after the uh, Nintendo Direct. We got a little bit of Pokemon news. So let's talk about the not new Pokemon. What did you think of camping? I love camping. Um, I sometimes I, I'm kind of I kind of look forward to it actually. I think I might actually do it more. Um, some of the other Pokemon game features they added on there, the fun stuff like that, I never really did. But the camping seems a little more fun. It's kind of nice seeing all your little buddies out playing around, and I kind of like how you can see other trainers' um, campsites. So I'm, I'm sure this will immediately become like a who can flex with the coolest, shiniest sort of situation. But uh, I'm looking forward to it. I honestly could not look away from the fact that there was sausage. I even asked our Facebook page people, what on earth is used to make sausage in the Pokemon world? Spoinks I don't stop know. bouncing. Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. So many people said spoink, which is the fact that they stop bouncing. What is wrong with you? When they stop bouncing, they die. It says it in their Pokedex entry. It does. Oh my gosh, we have to do a pig episode too. Okay. So I'll any spoink that's ever been hugged by its trainer is dead. Because if you pick them it's... up, they're not bouncing. Oh my god. Oh, Lord. Okay. You, let's just go back to the Pokemon. Poltegeist and uh, um, the Cormorant. So I'm going to talk about them both real quick, um, if that's mm-hmm. cool. Do so it, do Pulte, it. Poltegeist is a haunted teapot. Um, I love him. <laughs> I, I, I mean, it's it's England. I'm just expecting some sort of tea Pokemon. Um, a friend of mine is also expecting some sort of clock that Gigantamax is into Big Ben, which I still think might happen. Um, but I'm super excited for the little T Ghost Boy. I'm excited to see how he shapes up. If he's like a single evolution, maybe he gets evolved into a fancier teapot and maybe a whole tea set. We'll see. Oh, that'd be um, funny. If just like a whole tray of tea. And I'm really glad they went the ghost angle because I, I was honestly expecting whatever tea Pokemon to be another fairy type because we've been getting a lot of like weird just inanimate object fairy pokemon i feel like so it's nice to the ghost it's a good theme it's kind of like rotom but more british i also think it's really cool I'm naming mine bob I, I you know someone's gonna name it something really rude like teabag or something and it's gonna be awful they're gonna flag the word bag next in the uh the trading deck yeah the, they, i mean alone the word means nothing it's not offensive but then the second you have a gamer say it, it means something awful yeah but I, i'm you can have your tea i got my cormorant i got my cormorant <laughs> Oh, I'm using the Cormorant, no question. I love the little guys, and they follow me around when I'm fishing and stuff. Um, and I love his whole little spit-out-the-fish mechanic. That's such a weird, like, it's an automatic counter. Like, it's cool. Yeah, um, I'm interested to see, like, how the, what the damage modifier on that is. Um, I think that's going to be potentially a really interesting mon, depending on its stats going forward. It's a really cool ability. I might get some weird niche use. Um, who knows? If it's got good stats, then it's just going to be a really frustrating thing to deal with because unless you're KOing it, um, it's going to just hit you with its weird little counter. So I was, I'm, I was looking into it. Yeah, I was um, listening to um, uh, YouTubers, one of the Shofu, like one of the bigger ones. Like one, he called it a pelican, which, you know, I mean, he's not a biologist. He didn't know. They are related. And two, he mentioned how he'd put like choice specs on it and just let it use surf and then just yeah, have it. We'll have to see. I, I almost personally want to scarf it, depending on the speed. That way, you're guaranteed to get your. You're almost guaranteed to get your thing out because maybe he's going to be slow. Yeah, and I also want to know what kind of 
if that fish Pokemon is actually going to be used as a Pokemon in the game. I hope it's just a fish. You I really, really just, it's just, just a fish. <laughs> I hope it's just a fish. I hope they never address the fish. Really? And so you don't want it to be like a Mantine situation where there's a couple of Remoraids? No, it's just a fish. I either want it to be just a f- Here's my th- hopes for it. Either just a fish or it's a random fish Pokemon that then when it spits it out, the damage is totally random. Like I would imagine that having like a Relicanth spat at you would hurt more than having like a Remoraid spat at you. Mm-hmm. So I think that would be fun if it was like a different fish in its mouth and the fish was randomly damaging. But if it's not that, I hope it's just a fish. There were some leaks that said there was some bird in the game that would literally pick up, like, go in the water and pick up a fish and spit it out. The rumor also said it could do the same with Pikachu. So, I don't know. I guess one of those rumors was half right. I try not to put much stake in them, but... you know, it, Yeah, it, maybe maybe that's, like, a little mechanic. Maybe it's, like, a 1 in 20 chance to get to Pikachu. We'll see. Yeah, that'd be interesting. I mean, either way, I think the game's shaping up nicely. The graphics definitely got a little bit of a tweak here and there. I think the customization will be fun. Although, to be honest, it, like any good customization, there's going to be like three outfits anybody wears. <laughs> like, the second you have a suit, it's over. I got, I did get to play the game a little bit at Worlds, actually. Mm. I forgot to mention that. They I had a little... Yeah, it was um, it was definitely... Uh, it definitely seemed more polished than the earlier demos and stuff I had seen of the game. Um, I, the graphics definitely seemed better than like the tree that everyone memed. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. All right. I mean, it was it was really restricted. Like they wouldn't like you couldn't go into menus or anything like that. Mm. Um, so you couldn't get a good look at any mons. But um, it was cool. I liked it. If we're lucky, they'll be stupid enough to send out a demo, and then the data miners will have their way with it. Yeah, we'll see. I feel like they're. I feel like this. I feel like with Sun and Moon, they at this point had released a lot more. Like we knew our final evos and stuff like that. It seems like they're playing it a lot more close to the chest because we're not. That oh no, far they're out playing now. it way close to the chest. Like they are. Like back in, I remember like four months in advance before this, we had like tons of Pokemon released for the last game. So this time they're like, no, no, we don't want anyone to know. And I'm hoping that means that they have more Pokemon because to me, it's like, oh, you've only released this many. If you guys only have a few new Pokemon this time around, they're going to gut, they're going to gut you like a fish. Yeah, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm kind of torn partially because. One, I, I would like, I really want to see like the final start of Evos and stuff like that, and like maybe whatever the legendary trio is. But at the same time, I think the last um, game I played totally blind was like it was um, Diamond and Pearl, and I got it opening day. And I remember mm. it's like you're evolving your Pokemon, you have no idea what the hell they're going to turn into, and that was kind of fun. So you know, you know either when they're going to evolve or anything like that. So if they keep it that blind, I'm going to try to just not Google anything when I play it and just kind of go, just go. Yeah, that does. Yeah, that sounds fun. All right, let's go ahead and get to some caves. Yes. All right, let's go caving. Yes, let us descend into this podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to force a lot of puns in this one. I hope everybody understands that. We understand. We just don't like it. <laughs> anyway, so since the very beginning of Pokemon, the cave has been like one of the like the first habitats you visit in Pokemon. It is the number one spot. Every game has to have a cave in one of the first sections of the game. Everyone's Usually right after- favorite area is always the cave. I know I personally, what? it's the cave of Pokemon is like the poison swamp in a Dark Souls game. It's everyone's favorite place. Really? 
You want me to start grabbing the repels now or yeah, later? Yeah, now. <laughs> okay, so they've been there since the beginning, and it's usually right after, like, the first gym leader. It's your walk in the dark, your place in the unknown. Uh, but caves have a really interesting way of how they form. So typically how caves form is when limestone, after millions and millions of years, has been cemented under layers of other rock. Um, if rainwater comes down and starts dissolving that limestone, it will make a open pocket, a cavity. And then when there is an earthquake or a shift in the plate tectonics or a sinkhole, that a passage will open up, and that's where you get most caves. Now, caves could also be formed by volcanic activity. They could be formed purely by tectonics. Uh, but caves are formed all over the world, typically a result of limestone erosion. Yeah, limestone, as Lucas was saying, it dissolve it dissolves really easily especially in any like acidic environment it gets eroded like relatively quickly in the scheme of rocks so um any amount of rainwater carrying any sort of like uh just vaguely acidic will erode limestone much quicker than the other form of rock um and especially in certain areas um florida is actually a prime example florida has hundreds of spring systems it's it's quite remarkable how many we have actually have and that's a result of um, what is called referred to as karst topography under the surface, and it's um, Florida is almost an, is mostly limestone because it used to be an ancient coral reef ocean floor thing back in the day. And Florida is built on the dead the, the dead skeletons of dead animals. Yes, Hooray, the, Florida. The ghosts of them make it how it is here now, but <laughs> the because we're built on so many so many bodies of corals which formed all the limestone that makes our fair state eons of rainfall have like soaked through the ground and just swiss cheesed almost the entirety of florida especially the upper half so because of that florida has a multitude of caves that are almost all underwater entirely and flooded and are some really cool diving actually i've been in quite a few of them personally and uh yeah it's a it's a fascinating environment i hope we get some more underwater cave systems i hope bring back dive oh that was a lot of fun back in gen 3 where you could literally go into the underwater cave structures so the weird thing is about caves is people, when they open them up and start going into them, when they start plunking, spelunking, people don't realize that there's always going to be some kind of living organism down there as well. Animals and other things will find their way in, and caves have become home to some really weird stuff in nature. Uh, but there are usually three, ki three kinds of uh, cave animals. So there's the troglozines which are what they'd call a cave guest. So they don't live in the caves. They go in there for food and shelter, and they won't go much further past the entrance. So these are your bears when they're hibernating, their bats when you're roosting, your raccoons for shelter, and they're humans. When humans were living in caves, we were technically troglozine. Uh, now the next up, the middle ground is the troglophiles. Uh, these are creatures that live their whole lives in caves, but can survive outside of the caves. So these are animals that... Uh, like fish that made their way inside that haven't fully evolved for living in a cave. These are ones that can just swim out or be okay. These are things like moles that they made their way into a cave and then got out in the sun. Like these are things that just, they live in the caves. It's nice, but they can leave. Yeah, there's, I think it was in, there's this, I know there's a cave system in Tennessee that's famous because there's a, a lake within the cave that's full of rainbow trout. But they're definitely an example of that version. They're not a, cave fish or anything and i go. believe the um what's the last term troglodyte troglobite that's it troglobite a troglodyte is a cave dwelling person yes a that's where the insult comes from a troglobite is an organism that can only live in the cave that's yes. it like it can't go anywhere else these animals they have completely adapted to cave life 
And this is going to include everything from different kinds of worms, arachnids, insects, fish, amphibians, or even some reptiles that have kind of just made their whole life permanent in this dark, terrifying, wet place. Which now, is really interesting for reptiles since you typically associate them with the sun. Yeah, there's like there's so, very few, but there is at least like one that lives underground. Yeah. And so they, they've adjusted to living underground, and there are a couple of different ways they can do that. Uh, slower metabolism and decreasing the amount of energy they consume is definitely one. But then you'll also get some that have a, a decreased or a total loss of sight. Don't need it. Don't use it. You don't need to see anything in the dark. And so they'll either lose their eyes or barely use them. Uh, you'll also get things like elongated appendages. So you'll see things like spiders and other things. It's just really long legs. Like huntsman spiders, daddy long legs, will find their ways in caves. And their legs are much longer for feeling their way around. Same with uh, the cave centipede is a very fun creature for that. It's got extremely long legs. Um, also, some cave creatures... Um, can store fat much more efficiently is like for energy they can store it in more like efficient way than a uh, service dwelling to let them like kind of since food is sometimes irregular in caves um being able to store fat more efficiently for energy can be a, a huge asset i think it's also important to realize that when you have a cave system caves kind of function like islands in that you're really only going to find this animal in one kind of cave like you're not going to be able to go even to a cave a few miles away if they're not connected like what lives in that cave is the only thing that lives it, it only lives there it can't live anywhere else yeah and so that's where you get some really weird stuff like you get animals that only are like pure white or see-through animals with no eyes animals with no limbs like you'll also get um uh you'll get animals that just don't even that you can see that they're related to things like you'll get some kinds of salamanders but they're like just they look like ghosts because they just live in this dark. They don't need skid pigment. So a whitish, yellowish color is usually what comes of it. And in the Pokemon games, oh, this happens a lot. There are many Pokemon that you can really only find in caves. A lot of these are rocks. But others are just creatures that if you actually take a look at them, they share a lot of those features with cave-dwelling organisms. Now, I know you had one you wanted to talk about before we got into the Pokemon. Like the Tetras? Yes, absolutely. So I'm going to jump into this because I have a pair of them in my fish tank or in their own fish tank. I'm looking at them right now, and I will post a picture of my precious babies in the show notes or on our Twitter page. Um, and that is the Mexican cave tetra. Um, and I think they're like they're an amazing example of like cave adaptation. So there's also just the normal Mexican tetra, and they're very closely related. And uh, scientists theorize that at some point down the line. The Mexican tetras, some population of them got swept into caves in the eastern section of Mexico. Um, and then those tetras gradually adapted to life in caves. And um, so now and then we have the cave tetra, which at this point, they have no eyes. They're kind of ghostly pale, you know, no real pigmentation, no reason for it. Um, like Lucas said, they lost their eyes. One, if you can't see, your eyes are a liability because they're delicate. Um, eyes take a lot of energy to develop. So by not developing eyes, they could devote it to growth and reproduction. Um, they store fat four times more efficiently than the normal Mexican tetra. Um, their mouths are larger, and at least in my experience, they're much more aggressive than the Mexican tetra. Like cave tetra is actually pretty hard to cohabitate with fish because uh, with other fish, because anything they bump into, they think might be food, Ugh. and they kind of like. I clean the tank. They bite. I mean, they're you know two inches long, if that. But when I clean the tank, they actually swim over and bite my hands. Um, so they're they're not really afraid of much because they think everything might be food. Also. 
they seem like well, at least mine. According to Wikipedia, they live three to five years. Mine just turned, I think, eight this year. So um, I'm not sure how long they really live. Um, but mine seem to haven't slowed down at all. Um, and I love them very much. Awesome. So at least you have we have a literal living example with you of just what these things can do. I didn't know about the increased aggression, but that does make sense. Maybe it's not really. I wouldn't need to say aggression is the right word, but I would say increased feeding response might be a more accurate phrase. Gotcha, gotcha. And also, they they they're um they're kind of like a catfish in that um their scales are recessed compared to the normal tetra, and their whole body has taste buds on it. So that way, it's harder for them to miss a meal. I'm actually watching them. I fed them a couple hours ago. They're both rooting around in the gravel as I speak, trying to find any wow. last scrap of food. They're both very very fat. Okay, but um, it's all right. Good for them. <laughs> So we got your really fat fish talked about. We talked a little bit about their environment. This is our first time talking about animals from an environment standpoint. So I'm really looking forward to see what Pokemon we have on our list. Let's do it. Yeah. All right, Don, quick question. Um, What is the one Pokemon you see in a cave that you really don't want to see in a cave? Well, dang. Um... I'm kind of confused. I hope I don't hurt myself. I hope I don't hear any obnoxious screams from the ceiling. Oh, would those screams be supersonic in nature? They might possibly be. <laughs> okay, so we we cannot start a cave episode without at least mentioning Zubat. So we are planning a bat episode in the future, so I don't want to talk too much about bats in this one. But Zubat, when you look at Zubat, this is exactly what I think of. When I think of an animal that has taken living to a cave and thriving with it. Like this is an animal that literally has no eyes. That its feet barely work outside of just sticking itself to the ceiling. Like it is a weird, weird Pokemon. I think its feet are like, like creepy little tentacles is how I've always thought of it. Oh, God. No, but no, it has no eyes. Its only vision is supersonic. We will get more into Zubat, but we had to at least mention it. Like as a cave-dwelling organism... You, I, I honestly think you should only find Zubats in caves. Like, yeah, just because also, they have no eyes. My fun fact, my first shiny ever was a Zubat. Mine was a Golbat. That's just because, I guess, odds of probability of seeing them. I think a yeah. lot of first people's shinies were those. All right, my sister's so was a Slugma, and it's cooler because it was hot pink. Yeah, that is way better. <laughs> That's way better. So um, the, the other cave Pokemon I wanted to start in with was Diglett. Because to me, Diglett is the first true cave Pokemon we meet outside of Zubat because you really only found it in the cave. Like when you went to the Diglett tunnel, you find these mole-like creatures just living down there. If you look at the Pokedex entry, it talks about how they tend to live in soil, but they are also seen in caves. And they also talk about how sunlight hurts their skin. They don't like being out in bright lights. That's a lot of what cave animals have to deal with. If you were to take your um, your cave tetras out and put them in bright light, how would they react? That's actually been a study recently with cave tetras because they have they they think they're still light sensitive a little bit. Interesting. But because their eyes are gone for all intents and purposes, but they think under the skin they have some amount of like subdermal light sensitivity. Mm. So they might not react at because at least mine personally, maybe they're used to it when their lights come on. Um, which is more just for my own seeing them during the day. Um, they don't really seem to react at all, but they could just be accustomed to it. Yeah, that's really that's oh, I picked a bad example then. But you know, there are things like salamanders and stuff that you. Oh, just salamanders them- very much do not like any sort of sun radiation on them when they're not adapted to it. 
Now, Diglett spends its entire life underground, so this thing is like uh, they can't. It's a perfect example of just an animal that just adapted to living underground with whatever limbs it has. I personally think something like a Cthulhu tentacle monster, but that's just me. Uh, they are troglophiles, though, which means that they can. They spend most of their lives underground, but they can come up to the surface as needed. Like I said, they're sensitive to light. Uh, what's really weird is that they talk about how they churn up the soil, and that's what mo real moles will do. Like by churning up the soil, they not only kill pests but aerate that soil. And so that's something that's I, I find really really cool. Uh, the one not cool thing, I think there was a typo in the Pokedex entry for Doug Trio. It says Doug Trio is able to dig sixty miles down. Yeah, that's um. That's through the crust is what like ten miles ish, right? It's six to eight miles through the ocean, twenty five miles thick in continents. So no matter how you split it, Dugtrio dug into the <laughs> into the mantle. So you're saying Dugtrio should be immune to fire type attacks. I think Dugtrio should be immune to fire, rock, steel, pretty much anything. If you're able to dig through the mantle, do loop-de-loops through it, and then come back up alive unscathed, you pretty much can just smack around Arceus all you want, because that's a really terrifying mole. Isn't there some dex entry? I, I, I'm actually pulling it up right now because I'm. Isn't there about that it can also dig like 60 miles an hour or something? 65 miles an hour. I think that's where the typo happened. They just put miles instead of like miles per hour. Yeah, look it up because it's not. It's not oh, okay. Dear. Imagine, imagine an animal that can just almost just zoop on down to the mantle. <laughs> it's, just, it's just like an elevator in one hour. Just like it's that's insane. I mean, this thing could create caves on its own with that kind of speed. Uh, in the Pokedex, it also talks about how they'll live in the caves made by onyxes, but there isn't a creature large enough that would actually make a cave for another animal, uh, unless you count gopher tortoises. Gopher tortoises would be uh, an example of a small – they make small little burrows, but they're not caves. Yes. Yeah, I wouldn't really call them caves. But I um, call yeah, I guess the gopher tortoise is a decent um, approximation or the closest thing we have. Yeah, it wouldn't be like – I, I didn't want to put onyx in this episode as much because I'm not a geologist. I didn't want to say something wrong about the rocks. But I'm still sad that onyx has less base attack than caterpie or it's the same. Either way, onyx doesn't do anything. Yeah, it, it just sits there and gets killed by water types. Yep. Yeah, so uh, the other one I wanted to talk about was uh, Wishmer. Uh, Wishmer. Ooh. Yeah, Wishmer. A lot of people wouldn't expect it to bring this up because Wishmer isn't based on any animal of any kind whatsoever. These things are based on headphone jacks. These things are just audio. These are like audio devices. Incidentally, the best part of Detective Pikachu was the Loudrids. So does Pokemon's Apple equivalent deny the existence of Wishmer then? I guess that now they just kind of outlaid them like, oh, no, no, we're switching to a Bluetooth Wishmer that we bred in our labs at Slifco. Give us Gallerform Wishmer that's a Bluetooth, has the Bluetooth logo on his ears. Oh, my gosh, yes. Oh, my God. I'm putting that in the comment section of the episode. Should Wishmer be Bluetooth? <laughs> oh, God. But um, it is a good example of a troglobite. It is an animal that you can only find in these caves, and it's built with ridiculously large ears small to no eyes, and super pale pink skin. So this is exactly what you'd expect when living in a cave. The one thing that is really weird is, like, its voice is horrifying because it's said to have the same volume as a jet plane, which is roughly 140 decibels. Yeah, that's a bunch. But now imagine that, but in a cave with all the echoes and acoustics of that. 
Like, it would just be horrifying. This thing is going to be in constant pain the second it screams to defend itself. Like, it, it's it's really weird. Yeah, I feel terrible for Whismer, honestly. I think that's why we get it out of the cave. It's like, hang on, I'll cover you up in a hat until you evolve. We don't want you out here. We want you to – we need to get you out of this cave. A cave full of Whismers just sounds like the second you drop a rock, like, they freak out and they all just die. So I really <laughs> hope that's not the case. But – uh. It is the only place these things can be found, so I guess they're somehow thriving. Yeah, I guess. Um, yeah, they they bum me out a little bit. Feel I, I, someone should help those help them out. Yeah. Next step. Next next topic. This is gross. I don't want to talk about this. So the next one that is hopefully not nearly as depressing is going to be Tynamo. Uh, Tynamo is never talked about ever. So I guess we'll be one of the first. Yeah. Um. I most people seem to forget it exists. Uh, myself included. Sometimes. Like, if you get Electros, you're just like, well, I have this levitating electric monster. Guess I'll forget its little baby form. When its baby form, Tynamo's adorable. And it can only be found in one specific cave in Gen 5. So, uh, like the last episode, uh, we t- when you guys talked about electricity when I was getting ready for Dragon Con, uh, they generate electricity through special organs inside of them. Uh, just like with electric eels, that would be functioning like it has massive organ systems. So... I would say it's related to like a knife fish, just like the electric eels are. Um, it it's, it has a very knife fish body with the uh, kind of sort of weird fin along its dorsal and ventral length. Um, I, I I think it's like the most true electric eel looking Pokemon. Yeah, it's really funny that that's the one that looks like it's the one that everyone forgot. Yeah, uh, they're also pale, super small, and have the ability to see in the dark. So being pale means you don't have to you you don't really deal with the light. Small body size means that you don't need to feed yourself as much. And if the lighting system, it could be similar to that of bioluminescent fish, where it can draw in prey, or it could also like be used almost like a flash of light to to blind any any animal that still had eyes down there. Uh, yeah, they they do seem to school, and I didn't think cave fish could, you know, because of the blind thing. Um, so I'll say mine personally, at least, do seem to school. Um, okay. At least like the two, and that I mean, I, I I would like I hope to soon actually. I have a I have a twenty gallon tank set aside for to have a add some more to their group. But um, they as a pair get along very well with each other, and will swim pretty close together, and kind of seem, just seem to hang out. So I think that they're actually fairly social. So they're using their lateral line just to stay close to each other. Yeah, so I think the lateral line factors in with um, at least some degree of not recognizing each other as prey. Yeah, so there are other species of cavefish out there. They do function – they must function relatively the same way in terms of just they are going to have to spawn at some point. They want to eat the thing they're spawning with. Right. Um, I used to have them. I finally moved him to his own tank with a, a long-suffering catfish because he's um, they're you know little armored fellas, mm-hmm. uh, and that he could, he could if they bumped into him at him he was fine. Um, and they would like whenever they would bump into him they would sort of blindly sort of start biting around. But the uh, the cave chetra itself was always uh, sort of unaffected. Um, they, like but when they would bump into each other there was no real reaction or anything. Interesting. But yeah, it's one of the Pokemon people forget about. It's Pokedex entry. Talks about how it schools and generates lightning bolts. Hope you all realize after listening to this that that's not really a thing. But it would be really cool to kind of see a bunch of electric eels get together to really zap something. Oh, wow. Electric eels were social. I kind of want to read that book. Yeah, that would – I would – yeah, someone write that. It sounds neat. (laughs) 
that sounds terrifying. All right, so this next one is one that also that showed up in your very first caves in Pokemon. We got to talk about the Clefables and the Clefairies of the world, which they're yes. just they are a weird Pokemon. Like they're weird, and but from a biologist perspective, they are built for partial lives in caves. So just like Whismur, they have giant ears, they have small eyes, they're super pale. But there's one bit of their Pokedex entry that does say a lot of it, actually, that they go, they are attracted to the full moon. Like they dance around it, it makes them happy, gives them energy. They're all about that moon life, and I and that sounds like several animals that we can name off the bat. Like coral is my number one. Yeah. Like coral, we've just talked about it. The news section spawns on the full moon due to the high tide. And then there's also, have you heard of lunar lunacy? Yes, the whole concept of people or critters going in crazy during the light of the full moon. Yeah, there's some weirdness where people assume that, like, oh, you're that people will swear on a Bible that, oh my gosh, my dog is so crazy on the full moon, or either even police officers will be like, ah, we're it's a full moon tonight, we're gonna get a few extra calls, and so that's really interesting. How I guess I mean, there's so many different theories as to how that would actually work, not like scientific theories, but like. Hey, I wonder if this is a thing, and people haven't actually checked. But Clefable functions very similar in that regard. So I think it's interesting to have an animal like that where it has to live most of its life in the cave in the dark, but the second the moon comes out, they hang out together to dance and play. Personally, I think they just use it for spawning. I think that this how Clefables and Clefairies meet the opposite gender, the opposite sex, and then reproduce and make more. But that would be a really interesting thing for such a like an antisocial animal to want to meet out at that point. I, I think it's a, I get, maybe we're overthinking it, but it's an interesting concept. Yeah. Oh, I a hundred percent agree. Um, I am honestly pretty interested in, uh, the Frank Clefable. Yeah. They're, they're very unique Pokemon for, for sure. Now there is the one thing we have to address because there are Pokemon experts who say that they're aliens from the moon. We have to discuss, do you think they'd be closer to nematodes in which we, they could survive in space, or that the Pokemon moon is like Endor in Star Wars, and these are the Ewoks of the Pokemon right, world? Well, well, here's my theory. One, so we know they get the ability Magic Guard, right? Yes. Magic Guard means that they are, they can't be attacked by damage from out of their, uh, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? Direct damage. Yes. They can only be affected by direct damage. And that would be passive damage. So we can assume that the damage from vacuum is indirect damage because it's not an actual attack. I see. Go on. So therefore, we could postulate that they are from the normal moon and are in fact just immune to damage from vacuum. Okay. So maybe the other ones, the or maybe they're – what are the other ability? Like oblivious? Yes. They just don't care. Yeah, they just don't care. They just don't care. No, I don't care. They do you're di you're in a vacuum? I mean, you say you say so, buddy. Yeah, no, these things are are weird. I I still say that. It, I mean, if the Pokemon Moon, it, we've seen it. it. It's like our Moon, but like I, I'm kind of hoping like they're just kind of like the Ewoks of the Moon. It's like, huh? Maybe we should go up there. People are looking on a telescope. They see the Clefairies like dancing and singing. It's like, Ugh. it's like Care Bears up there. I ain't going near that. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Maybe just don't want, don't want, don't want none of that. Yeah. No. Maybe we just leave the unknown unknown. <laughs> All right, so before we uh, wrap up the episode, we actually wanted to talk. Uh, we never usually get a chance to do this, but with K-Pokemon um, being such weird Pokemon, we wanted to talk about some weird animals that maybe Gen 8 or Gen 9 or whatever could consider 
Maybe if someone in Nintendo, if someone has a dad that works in Nintendo, or what is the joke, an uncle or a dad, whatever. It's always my uncle works in Nintendo. Mew is totally under the truck, bro. Also, if you beat the Elite Four with a level 50 Caterpie 100 times, you get Pika Blue. Okay, noted. So if anyone has an uncle from Nintendo, uh, bring them over, have them listen, because here's some of our ideas. Uh, number one, I think there should be pseudo scorpions in the next caves of Pokemon. Bold call, but I like it. So the thing about pseudo scorpions is that they are they they're arachnids, but they kind of have the backside of a spider and the front side of a scorpion. So it's the scorpion without the tail. And in order to compensate for that, there actually are some with venom in their claws. And so when they pinch you, they're also stinging you, filling you with toxin. There are cave dwelling ones. And so my thought would be that uh, since they they also lose their eyes, that they actually see them feeding in uh, bat guano, so bat poop. So I think it would be really fun, like wherever you see a bunch of Zubats, there's this thing feeding off their poop, which is something that natures tend to do, feed on poop. It's how you survive. Yep. What do you and got? I, um, all right, so I'm going to make a, uh, an interesting call. So there's a really cool – there's a lot of ca- cool cave salamanders out there. Mm-hmm. But one of my favorites is um, called the Olum or the Olm, O-L-M. It is a blind cave salamander from Slovenia and Croatia in the caves over there. It is a fully aquatic cave salamander for the most part. Um, it, it's a sort of like a salamander that stops at a, it's like maturity, um, where like salamander, you know, some aquatic salamanders still have external gills. Um, it sort of looks kind of like a little baby dragon. Actually, it's like you know, pure white, kind of ghostly white, long and spindly. It has like limbs that are small for its body, but like usable for underwater, especially. Um, it's got a flat head. They believe it has, um, or it does have electroreceptors as well. Um, they believe it may also have the ability to sense um, magnetic fields. Um, and they actually can live over a hundred years. Okay, I looked up a picture of this thing while you were talking. Look at its noodly little arms. I know. It's so cute. <laughs> this is the cutest thing you've ever shown me. Oh my gosh. It's got no yeah. doofy face. Oh my lord. Your yours is better than mine. I kind of want to change mine now. Look at yeah, the, um, the Based on some survival rates, they've estimated the adults um, live to an average age of, of around 69 years and the adult in captivity about 70 and they estimate that they can go or I've seen some going that live to be over 100. That's incredible. That'd be awesome in the Pokemon game. Just go in the dark. I think there would have to be something on the lines of solar power, just for being like the ability of like, hey, you're you might or like something where it's stronger in the rain. Like so it would probably have to do like yeah. a storm drain sort of deal or like dry skin. That would probably be the best one for it. Yeah. The most interesting about them for me is their lifespan, because typically with like with most vertebrates, you know, the bigger you are, the longer you live. Like typically. Yeah. Um, you know, like whales, elephants, giant tortoises all live a long time. Um, the Olin li- weighs about twenty grams. Mm-hmm. Um, the only and the only other amphibian that gets nearly like the same lifespan is the giant salamander, which is over a thousand times larger than an Olum. Yeah, that's crazy. No, I kind of I. I... Yeah, o, it's OLM Salamander, guys. It's not it's not the hardest thing we've ever had you guys look up. It's really cool. All right, then, and they're very rare, so everyone hope they live a long time. Oh, that'd be even better. Rare rare animals are even better for Pokemon. That way people know they exist. So yeah. I did have another idea while you were talking. Uh, did, have you ever seen the glow worms that live in the cave ceilings? Oh, 100%. A friend of mine who lives in Australia actually works at a um, a vineyard that has a cave with glowworms, and she does tours. Oh, that's so cool. 
So for those who don't know what the glowworms do, uh, they're bioluminescent, so they generate their own light. But what they'll do with that light is they look like the night sky. And so as we all know from our meme history, moths love lamps because they look like the night sky. Oh, wait. Fun fact. I meant to throw this in during the lunar lunacy bit. You're talking about moths navigate by lunar light, which lunar light comes down when it hits the Earth. The beams are basically parallel to each other, and they use that to navigate because they can be like, oh, I'm between the two beams. But lamps and other human lights throw out light in all directions, so it's super confusing to moths, and they're drawn to the lamp, and that's why they fly wildly around it because they basically lose their sense of direction. Have you ever heard the phrase, dissecting a joke is like dissecting a frog? You understand it, but it's still dead. Thanks for killing my meme. <laughs> it's still a good meme. It's a solid meme. But what the glowworms will do is they will look like the night sky and draw an insect, and then they just have this sticky thread that comes down, and then the insects get caught like a spider's web, and they just retract it and then consume whatever they hit. It's pretty nasty stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I do think the glowworms are super cool. I'm surprised we don't have – There's, it's like they're one of the Pokemon that I really want. I really hope uh, – the I hope we get maybe after this. If we don't get it in this game, maybe because we haven't. I doubt we've seen all the Galar Mons. Yeah, hopefully maybe if we don't get Glowworms and Galars, since I doubt we've seen all the Mons. Hopefully maybe next uh, region will be Pokey Australia, oh. and we can get our Glowworms. I mean, as long as they have Pokey Australia, as long as they keep using islands, we can keep having varieties of different ones. What if like Weedle or like Butter or like Caterpie were like the new Glowworms or Wormpole? Like, just add any... Oh, that could be a cool, like, yeah, like a different form for, like, Wormpole. I would like that a lot, honestly. Yeah, there's so many caterpillars and butterfly Pokemon. We could do a whole Lepidoptery uh, study of butterflies episode. I want a, uh, and I, I actually honestly really want a South American, when we get po- South American Pokemon, I hope they give Caterpie a lethally poisonous, venomous uh, form, like the fun Brazilian caterpillars we've talked about in the past. Oh, uh, yes, the ones that cause you to bleed from everywhere. We got it straight yes. away from the caves, but hopefully you guys realize that if you ever get a chance to go visit a cave, I definitely recommend you do, not just for the awesome rock structures, not just for the history of the acoustics, but to get a chance to ask, like, what animals live there, because it's really cool to see what animals will utilize the caves for as a home, shelter, food, any number of things for them to survive. And I think it's so cool that Pokemon, intentionally or not, incorporated some of those features into their animals 100 percent. also if you're going on cave tours please 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 don't touch stuff oh my god um, please the oils in your hands can like stalagmites slagtikes take hundreds of years to develop um and the oils in your hands can like forestall or erode that for decades um stuff there's some some the, some of the crystal formations are very delicate um, a lot of the critters especially like amphibians are very like um very reactive to human contact um, and if you're doing underwater caves, um, please know, make sure you know what you're doing. Because if you die, they're going to put a grate over it, and then I can't go in it later. <laughs> so don't do that. It's not cool. This is, once again, Conservation Corner with Don. Don't do something stupid. I wanted to do that, too. If you die and mess it up for me, I'll be back. <laughs> so um, Conservation with Don. <laughs> and on that note, let's go ahead and wrap things up. Alrighty, we dived on in, we came out, we didn't die, and we didn't have to put a grate over the hole so you could still dive in it. That's a success. It's good diving right there. Maybe we'll come up with a fish in our mouth to spit out the next thing that attacks us. That is an amazing ability for that dumb, goofy-looking bird that I love so much. Oh, I love him. Before we get to the normal thank yous, I want to thank you guys who have just joined us from DragonCon and any of the other conventions we go to because... 
Dragon Con is pretty much where this all started for me. It is the home con of many people, and it's mine too. And I cannot thank the crowd enough. You guys were wonderful. You guys laughed. I had you guys come up and thank me, and that means the world to me. I love all of you guys who get a chance to learn something from it. So they, my favorite example of this is when a parent came up to me and was like, listen, this I thought my kid dragged me to something stupid, but you actually taught me something. And that's what I do this for, is to make sure that people get a chance to learn some cool stuff. So again, thank you so much. And thank you to our Patreons, because I wouldn't patrons ugh. so i i would never have gotten the chance to do any of this fun cave stuff i never get a chance to learn about caves but i got the chance to do it because you guys picked it so we had some other things on the list and we'll definitely get to those topics as well if you want to see those topics you got to become a patron just kind of how this works we're going to get to those episodes but if you become a patron we get to get to them faster if you don't they go as they go and you do with your money as you will so again, thank you guys, our patrons. Thank you to all our panelists. Thank you to all of you guys for listening. One hundred percent. Thanks, guys. Um, it means a lot. It really does. Um, and yeah, you do stuff like this. We do more neat shows. So please do it. I like to talk about caves. I think caves are cool. All right. So if you guys would like to help us out even more, uh, the reason uh Professor is not here is because he's working really hard on our work for the charity. So if you guys want to help out, we're going to post links. There'll be audio clips and stuff put to this, uh, put around. You'll be able to hear and listen and see our advertisement. Best way you can figure it out is follow us on Facebook, on Twitter. We're going to be posting and reposting. The Pokecaster Network I'll also put in our comments. So that way you guys can follow that because there's a lot of really good podcasts as part of that group. So hopefully you guys can help out this charity, even if you can't be part of the tournaments and stuff we're planning, even if you can't be part of the trading card games. It's it's charity for kids with cancer. Like it is for children who have literal cancer. I cannot think of a more noteworthy cause than helping kids out who literally need this to try and get through a little bit better of their time to try and help life out for some of our least fortunate and people who just who just need a break. I'm yeah, just, for real. Yeah. Thank everybody. Yeah, do it. It's gonna be super fun. Um. It's going to be a fun tournament. It's just like everyone's going to have a good time. Um, yeah. Sorry, Luke is much more eloquent than I am right now. Yeah, no, I'm I, – I, let's say I'm the voice. You're the brains. This is how this works. This is how this deal works. All right, guys. So thank you again for listening. Have a wonderful rest of your night. If you're going to cave, cave responsibly. And have a wonderful rest of your time. We'll see you next time for our next Patreon-based episode. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye, guys. Have a good night.